All right, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek Church. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Whatever campus or location you may be at, can we just welcome each other together for a moment? I'm just believing that wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, that Jesus is doing something great in your heart, that somehow he is filling your heart up with hope today. You see, we're currently in a series as a church called Abnormal, an invitation to a better way of life. And we're taking a few weeks to just talk about how as followers of Jesus, we're called to be abnormal, different, maybe even a little bit weird in this world. I mean, if you just think about it as followers of Jesus, we're beloved sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. We no longer belong to this world. We're aliens and strangers in this world, the Bible tells us. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're called to represent heaven on this earth. So in every way, shape, and form, we are abnormal, different, and weird from the world around us. Our problem is, is we try so hard to be normal and fit in, but I told you last week, you don't really want to be normal. And a bunch of you said, yes, I do. And I said, no, you don't. Because in this world, normal is brokenness, death, and destruction. While Jesus offers you a life of faith, hope, and love. That's why Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways because my thoughts are higher and my ways are higher. In other words, Jesus invites us to a better way of life. And when we have the courage to step into that better way of life and be abnormal from the world around us, we actually offer the world hope. That's why 1 Peter 2 says, live such good lives, live such a different life among the world that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that though they don't understand how you live and why you live that way, that they see your good works, your better way of life and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, may they put their faith in Jesus because we lived so different from the world around us. And so what we're doing is we're just taking a look at the book of James. So if you got your Bible, flip over with me to James chapter two. In James chapter two, we're going through the book of James because James gives us a great perspective on what it looks like to be abnormal in this world. In other words, he tells us what it's like to be normal in the kingdom of God. And as a reminder of context, James was Jesus's little brother. He grew up with Jesus as his big bro, and you can imagine how challenging that would have been. So he didn't like Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. He thought Jesus was crazy. And after Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again from the grave, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes and appears to James. And just like that, everything changes. And it's a reminder that there's hope for even the hardest of hearts. And so James writes the church, he writes the followers of Jesus this letter. And what he is doing is he is assuming that you've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He's assuming you've had an encounter with the grace of Jesus, so he's writing to tell us how we now live in the truth of Jesus. And so because he has that assumption, he just kind of jumps right in. Like it's straightforward, super practical. James is like that friend that you have that just says it how it is. I love this about James. Like there are no encouragement sandwiches in the book of James. An encouragement, a sandwich, is a bunch of encouragement, a little bit of truth, and then a whole bunch of encouragement. You know, that's like how you have to tell people difficult things in life, like, you're amazing, you need to change this, but you're amazing, right? That's how the Apostle Paul writes most of his letters, telling people how awesome they are, a little bit of correction, and then how awesome they are. Okay, James is paleo, man. He just goes for the meat in the middle. 
There ain't no front and back. He just says, this is what it is. This is what you need to change because what he is assuming is you've had an encounter with the grace of Jesus. So he's telling us now how we live in the truth of Jesus. He's speaking to the renewed spirit within us. He's speaking to the desires your spirit already has as a follower of Jesus. And all he's doing is calling it forth. And the whole point of the book of James is, hey, a new creation should live a new lifestyle. You, you should be different than you used to live and you should be different from the world around you because an encounter with Jesus changes everything. And so the question we're just asking is simply this question is, is are you different from the world around you? Like would the people in your life say that you are abnormal, different, or maybe even a little bit weird? And the good kind of weird, you know, not the creepy weird, the good kind of weird. Be because let's be honest, it's weird to forgive, to honor, to submit and surrender, to have radical generosity. It's weird to have a life of faith, hope, and love, but that is normal in the kingdom of God. So what we're doing each week is taking a look at one truth that James gives us about how we live this new life in Jesus. And so if you look with me, James chapter two, let's just jump right in verse 14. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, let's be honest. James would have a really hard time building a church in America. <laughs> like, you can't say that. But he did say that. And it's kind of refreshing, isn't it? He, you see, here's what he says. He says, hey, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that relationship with him should change every other relationship in your life. He says an encounter with Jesus will cause you to engage with people completely differently than you ever have before. In fact, he says, if your faith doesn't lead you to action, you have to question whether or not you actually even have faith. In other words, what he's saying is how we treat people should be very different from the world around us because of how Jesus has treated us. Now you have to understand the reason James can say this is because think of what he grew up and watched. He grew up watching Jesus love people. He watched Jesus love the unlovable, serve those in need, honor everyone. He watched Jesus love with, with this radical, generous, sacrificial spirit. I mean, he saw Jesus walk over and touch the contagious, incurable leper and heal him. He watched Jesus play with the despised children that everyone was trying to run away. He saw Jesus hang out with tax collectors and sinners and invite them over and go to their house. He watched Jesus heal the woman with the flow of blood and stand up with the woman who was caught in adultery and about to be stoned. He watched Jesus pick 12 ragtag guys and give them dignity, honor, and worth and turn them into world changers. He literally spent his life growing up watching Jesus put the love of God on display because Jesus didn't talk about loving people. Jesus loved people. And so what James is saying is he's saying, if your faith 
doesn't lead you to actively love people, you have to question whether or not you actually have faith. He says, if we're included in with Christ, we're supposed to live like Christ. That's why in Luke 6, Jesus says, every student will become like his master. Or that's why in verse 26, James literally says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He literally says faith without action is pointless. He says it's pointless to go to church. It's pointless to call yourself a Christian. It's pointless to say you have faith if it never changes how you live. Okay. I know that's really strong. And James has taken heat over this for 2,000 years. I mean, you know, you know Martin Luther? He's the great Protestant reform, reformer theologian. He thought James was so harsh that he literally wanted to rip the book of James out of the Bible. Not just like in his own personal Bible. He wanted to, to strike the, the letter of James, the book of James from the Bible. Because he thought James was telling everybody that you had to work for your salvation. So he wanted to, to re literally rip it out of the Bible because he thought it was so harsh. But that's not what James is saying. See, see, he missed the point. James isn't telling us that we're saved by works. What James is telling us is works are evidence that we're actually saved. What he's telling us is that, hey, if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, that will actually lead to a new lifestyle. Yes, we are saved by grace, but we're changed by grace. That's why Ephesians 2 says, for you have been saved by grace. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, you are saved by grace for good works. You're saved by grace for good works. And if there's no good works, you have to question whether or not there's actually faith. And the greatest work of all is to love people. And all James is doing, he takes the heat, man. But all he's doing is echoing what Jesus said. See, in John 13, at the end of Jesus' life, he's got the disciples. He's in the upper room. They're taking communion together. He's about to go to the cross. They all have the bread and the cup in their hands. And he literally looks at them in John 13 and says, Hey, guys, a new command I give you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. In other words, he looks at them and he says, yeah, you see that? That radical, sacrificial generosity. Yeah. That's what I'm doing for you and that's what I expect you to now do for other people. And when you do that, then people will know you're my disciples. He says, the world will know you belong to me, not by what you say, but how you love. Love makes you abnormal because we live in a love-starved world world. And so it's a reflection of Jesus. Or how about Matthew 7 when Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them, their actions. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Okay, all Matthew 7 is, is James 2. And all James 2 is, is Matthew 7. Yeah, right. They're saying the exact same thing. James just says it in a different way. Jesus is saying, if you have faith, it will lead to action. 
He says a new root will lead to new fruit. What you believe, Jesus says, will always determine how you behave. And so Jesus isn't telling us to judge ourselves or to judge other people. You know what Jesus is telling us? To be fruit inspectors. (laughs) To literally look at our own life and look at the life of the people around us and say, is there any fruit? Because he says it's literally impossible to be rooted in him and have no fruit showing up in your life. So if there's no fruit showing up, you have to actually ask what you're rooted in, which is all James is saying about faith and action. See, how you behave is always a default of what you really believe. However you behave is the default of of what you really believe. Like, you always will go back to your own belief structure. And that shows up in your behavior. And you know what the first fruit that shows up in our life is? It's love. For the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love. Love. The moment the Holy Spirit comes into your life, the first thing he grows is love. And so if you're walking in the Holy Spirit, love is the natural byproduct that begins to flow. How we treat people reveals what we really believe and who we really are. And all Jesus is telling us is the same thing James is telling us. James is echoing Jesus saying, hey, if you're in me, you're going to treat people totally different. We're not supposed to be people who have big talk. We're supposed to be people who live with big action. 1 John 3, let us love with words, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, how we treat people should be very different than the world around us. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more you begin to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves people. You with me on that? You see, I wonder when James is writing James chapter 2, I wonder if James was there the day Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan. Do Do you remember that story? I mean, I think this is why in verse eight, he includes, he says, you're calling us to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. See, I think James, maybe he was there or maybe Jesus told it to him in a different way. It's a great story and it goes something like this. A teacher of the law came to Jesus one day and said, hey, Jesus, uh, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? The teacher says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. A love for God will always lead to a love for people. But wanting to justify himself, the man looked back at Jesus and said, and who is my neighbor? Jesus said, okay, let me tell you a story. (laughs) It's usually not good for you when Jesus is telling you a story. (laughs) He says, one day a man was walking down the road and some robbers jumped out and beat him up, took all his money and left him for dead. He said, and along that same road came a priest A very spiritual man. And when he got to the man on the side of the road, left for dead, he saw him, but man, he had things to do. So he skirted around him and kept going on his way. A little while later, a Levite came walking down the road, another very spiritual man. And when he sees the guy, he sees his brokenness and he looks around to make sure no one else is paying any attention and he's got places to go. So he skirts around and keeps going. And then Jesus says, came a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans were enemies. They hated each other. And yet when the man sees the broken man on the side of the road, a Jew, the Samaritan stops, heals him, picks him up, binds his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for everything and helps the man become completely restored. And Jesus looks at the teacher of the law and he says, which of these three men was his neighbor? He says, the one who had mercy. He said, you're right. Now go and do likewise. In other words, what Jesus says, hey, if you really have faith, 
It will lead you to action. And you will love your neighbor. And your neighbor is anyone you come in contact with. Your neighbor is the people you live with, the people on your street, the people in your school, the people at work, the people in the marketplace, the people in this church. That's your neighbor. And that is incredibly abnormal in this world. The world loves people who love them back. We're called to love everyone because they're our neighbor. Now, that is the normal Christian life. And there's three groups of people that really you can lump your neighbor into. Three groups of people that we're called to love. Three groups of people that your faith is meant to be put in action for. The first group is this. You are called to love your people. You are called to love your people. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves your people. See, every person in this room, you have people. You have people. They're your people, man. They're your circle. They're your tribe. They're your group. They're your, they're your bros. I mean, you got people. Everybody in this room has got people. Why? Because God gives us people. We were made for people. Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a suitable helper for him. That is not just about marriage. That is about you are made to live in intimate relationships with people. So God will always give you people as a gift in your life. Who are your people? It might be your family, your spouse, your parents, your friends, your roommate, your teammate, your buddies at school. I don't know, but you got people. Jesus had the disciples. David had Jonathan. Abraham had Isaac and Sarah. Paul had Timothy and Silas. Mary had Joseph, Elizabeth, Jesus, and James. Everybody's got people. Who are your people? Because those are the people God has given you because it's in those relationships where you learn to love and be loved, to know and be known, accept and be accepted, forgive and be forgiven. God has given you people so that you can demonstrate the love of God to them and learn how to actually love in this life. They're a gift to you. And yet, they're sometimes the hardest people to love. Just keep waving to the person next to you. They're sometimes the hardest people to love. Why? Number one is I think we're just too busy. We're like the priest and the Levite. We got places to go, people to do. When our people are on the side of the road hurting, we're like, man, I ain't got time for your hurting. I got things to do. Like, pick yourself up. You're my people. I know, but I got to go, right? Come on, don't even, don't, don't you dare isolate me in this moment. You're part of my people, right? We're too busy. The second reason is we take them for granted. We just assume We assume they're good. We assume they know we love them. We assume they know we celebrate them and honor them and are so thankful for them in our lives. Okay, when was the last time you specifically told your people why you love them? Not what they do for you. Why you love them. And the third reason is because we see all their failures and flaws and brokenness up close and personal, and sometimes it's too close and personal. They disappoint us, they annoy us, they hurt us, and let's be honest, sometimes we just flat out don't even like them. Those are your people. And yet God has given them to you to demonstrate the love of God to them and learn how to love. See, God gives you hard people to love so he can show you how he loves you. Because let's be honest, you're not that easy to love. And yet, 
Jesus is never too busy, never takes you for granted, and forgives all your failures and flaws. See, I think this is a cool definition of love. Love is accepting people as they are, for who they are, and using what you have to help them become their best. That's love. Love is accepting people as they are, for who they are, and using what you have to help them become their best. Think about it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus accepted you for who you are with all your failures and flaws and brokenness. And he loved you for who you were. He didn't try to make you somebody that you are not. He he saw the uniqueness in your life and wanted to see that come to pass. So he used everything he had, took all of his gifts and passions and talents and resources and life and invested it to raise you up so you could be your best. So don't give up on them because he didn't give up on you. So here's the question. Do your people feel loved by you? I want to reverse it. This week, my challenge to you is ask your people, your people, and you only got a handful of them. Don't act like I got 500 people. I can't do that. Now you only got a handful of people. (laughs) Ask them this one question. Do you feel loved by me? Feel. Notice the question isn't, do you know I love you? Do you feel loved by me? And how can I love you better? And then listen. Don't justify. Don't get angry. And don't tell them the 900 things you do that they should feel loved by you for. Because ain't nobody care about that. We got to stop loving people the way we want to be loved. And we got to start loving them the way they desire to be loved. Don't give what you want, give what they need. Learn to speak their language. Some of you are trying to love people in Spanish and they speak French. And you're getting mad that they won't receive the love. So then ask them, how can I make you feel loved? Listen, and then use what you have to help them be their best. You with me on that? Your faith should lead you to action of loving your people. Second thing is you are called to love Jesus' church. You are called to love Jesus' church. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves his church. See, this is an interesting one. Most of us want to love our people, and we know we're called to love the world. We think loving the church is optional at best. We're like the priest and the Levite. We kind of see the church on the side and we're like, got places to go, things to do, man. I wish I could help you. Somebody else though will come along. I got my people and I got the world. I got to go. Okay. But what did Jesus die for? His church. He said, well, he died for this building. No, the church isn't the building. Church is the people of God, united by the spirit of God under the lordship of Jesus sent to change the world. The church is the people of God, united by the Spirit of God, under the Lordship of Jesus, sent to change the world. The church is the thing Jesus is building on this earth right now. So listen to this, Galatians 6.10. I think a lot of us don't think this verse is in the Bible. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know what that says? It says, before you go try to love the world, love each other. You're like, that's not in there. Yeah, that's in there. And that's from Paul, the encouragement sandwich guy. (laughs) He says, hey, before you get so worried about loving everyone, just love each other, man. Like all those one another verses in the Bible, love one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, build one another up. You know who those are written for? 
for you and the people in this room. Those are not verses for you and out there. Those are verses for the people in this room. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you become a beloved son or daughter, which makes everyone else in this room your beloved brothers and sisters. It's not optional. I mean, in John 13, Jesus says, as we just looked at, as I, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know what he says that too? 12 guys that are his church. He doesn't say go love the world. He says, if you'll love each other, all the world will know you belong to me. He doesn't say if you love them really well, they'll know you belong to me. He says, no, if you love each other, they'll know you follow me. Before Jesus tells them to go make disciples, he says, love each other. I don't know. I just, maybe we should listen to Jesus's order. We're the body of Christ, man. Every one of us is a part of it. And you've been given unique gifts, passions, and talents. You've been given unique expressions of Jesus that don't belong to you. They belong to us. He has given you your gifts, not for you, but for the people in this room. 1 Corinthians 12 says, now each one, the manifestation of the spirit, a gift of the Holy Spirit is given, not for you, for us, the common good. We're a body and we're a unit, though we're made up of many parts. All its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. In other words, he says, hey man, you build each other up. This matters. And I know some of you sit there and you think this is a big church, I don't matter. Are you kidding me? I am not okay without my arm, my leg, or my liver. I'm just saying. And I don't know if you are an arm, a leg, or a liver, but we ain't okay without it. We're not, we're not okay without you, and you're not okay without us. Or how about Ephesians 4? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up to him who is the head that is Christ from him, the whole body. His body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, which is relationship, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the question. Are you doing your part? That is not like subjective. You don't get to decide whether or not that applies to you. That is, it's, it's a command. Are you doing your part to love us? Because if you don't love us, we will never become mature, complete, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But you can't love without relationship. Okay, think about it like this. You know how Jesus tells us, love your neighbor as yourself? We get that, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. What we forget a lot of times though is, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, which means you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. I will love my neighbor at best, to the extent I love myself. Okay, so have you ever looked at anybody and thought to yourself, if you're gonna love me the way you love you, let's just pass on that whole dance. <laughs> like, have you ever looked at anybody and thought, like, if you're gonna love me the way you love you, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, the self-condemnation, the hatred, the, 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 the discouragement, the criticism, the way they tear themselves down, you're like, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm cool, I'm good, I'll pass. Did you ever think the world looks at the church and thinks, if you're going to love me the way you love yourself, I'll pass. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you ever think the world looks at the church and thinks, if you're going to love me like that, gossip, slander, division, only loving when it's convenient, uncommitted, apathetic, indifferent, unpassionate. If you're going to love me the way you love yourself, I'm good. And make no mistake about it, the world watches every single day. Oh, 
Jesus could love the world because he loved himself, man. He had a high view of God and a healthy view of himself so he could lay down his life for the world. We are his body. And until we learn to love ourselves, we will never be able to love the world. There is a whole movement in the, in the, and you're catching a little bit of my edge on this, but just, it's okay. So there's a whole movement in the global church that has this thing that's like, we're going to change the world, but we're going to bypass the local church. You're the priest or the Levite walking by the dead body on the side of the road. It doesn't work that way. It says we have to love each other before we can love out there. So here's the question. Are you loving anybody in this church that isn't your people? Is there anybody that feels loved by you? Maybe let me ask it to you like this. If the people in this church loved you the way you love them, would you feel loved? And if you're sitting there and you're like, bro, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't even want to be a part of this church. Please come tell us and let us help you get to a church you want to be at. We're not trying to keep you here. We're not trying to lock you in. We're trying to help you flourish in life. And all we're trying to tell you is like, this is how you flourish in life. So be in a family that you believe in, love the vision, love the culture, want to be a part of. I mean, have you ever been in a church that tells you, if you don't want to be here, tell us. I'll help you get to a great church. Because it matters. Because if we're going to change the world, we've got to love each other first. Your faith, your faith should lead you to action in loving the church of Jesus. And the last thing is simply this, you're called to love the world. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you love what Jesus loves and Jesus loves the world. We're called to love the unlovable, serve those in need and honor everybody. We're called to be radical, generous and sacrificial. We're called to put the love of God on display. I mean, in Matthew five, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagans do that? In other words, Jesus says, hey, he says, everybody loves their people. Maybe not well, but everybody loves their people. He says, you're called to love those who are against you. See, we don't change the world by angry rhetoric, by picketing, by Facebook blasting, by hostility and judgment. We change the world a better way by love. We change the world by finding our enemies, looking them in the eyes, giving them dignity, value and worth and using what we have to help them be their best. And hear me, the people in this world are not your enemies. Ephesians 6 says, for we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness, which means your enemy is not people. Your enemy is the kingdom of darkness, which has already been defeated by Jesus. The people are God's lost children who he has sent you to bring home. So before we justify ourselves like the priest and the Levite and say, ah, the world is a hungry kid on the other side of the world. I just want you to stop for a second and think of that one person in your life that you can't stand right now. Some of you are like, this is, this is good. I want to know. Who's that person? <laughs> it might be your, your coach. It might be your boss. It might be a coworker. It might be your, a kid at school. It, it might be that parent of your kids and your kid's ball team. I, I don't know. Think of that one person. Can you picture that one person you can't stand? That's the world. You don't have to go find the world because God has brought the world to you. He literally throws them right on the path in front of you. The only question is, is your faith going to lead you to action 
Or does your lack of action actually have to make you question the reality of your faith? See, close your eyes for a second with me. Think of that person. That one person right now, it's just, it's just driving you nuts. Now picture them the way that Jesus pictures them. Jesus sees them made in his image and his likeness, carrying years of hurts and pain and brokenness. He sees their redemptive potential. He sees dignity and honor. He sees a hope and a future. He sees someone who is trapped in darkness, but is worthy of love. It's amazing how when we look at it the way Jesus looks at it, it changes our perspective. That's why in verse 13, James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, he says, Jesus has already been judged so we can go offer the world mercy. We don't have to judge the people we don't like because Jesus has already been judged and he wants them to receive his mercy. Your faith should lead you to actively love the world around you. See, the older I get and the more I walk through life, the more I want to be full of love. I want to live in love. I want to receive love. I want to give love. I want, I want people to see the love of God in my life. I don't want to be big talk, man. I don't like big dog anyways. I, I want to be big action. I mean, listen to this. One last verse for you. First John. John writes. He says the same thing James says in James 2, only this is, this is how John would preach it. It's a little nicer. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know what he says? He says, those who know God best will love people the most. He says, if God is love and you have faith in God, then love should flow through your life. You will always love people to the level you believe that God is actually loving you. And so he says, if we're not loving other people, we have to question whether or not we've received God's love for us. See, Jesus doesn't just call you to love people. He actually gives you his love for people. Your faith is meant to lead you to action. And so here's what we're going to do for a moment to just kind of pull this together. Is we're going to take communion together at, at all of our campuses. So our ushers are going to get up, start passing out the elements. And all I want you to do for a moment is if you could just set your stuff down and just take a breath. And when the plate gets to you, this is for anyone and everyone who has put their faith in Jesus and you can reach out and take a hold of it. And, and if you haven't yet, maybe today's your day. 
Maybe today's the day that you reach out and take the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood as your faith that he died for you, that you might be free. You see, the world loves who they want and when they want. But we're not the world. We're abnormal. We're different. We love our people. We love Jesus' church. And we love this world. <laughs> because he first loved us. You see, what's fascinating is you were the world. You now are his church. And he invites you to be his people. You were the world. You were lost and broken and dying. And Jesus came. And you had an encounter with him. And the moment you did, you became part of the family of God, the church, the body of Christ. And he has brought you into his church, into his family, the thing that he is building. And now he invites every one of us to be his people, to live in intimacy with him, walking with him, knowing him, relying upon him, allowing his love to be demonstrated for us and reflecting it right back to him. So you can't make yourself love people. You can't create love. Love flows. And when you have faith in Jesus, his love begins to fill up in your life. I don't think there's any person sitting in this room that wants to walk by hurting people on the side of the road. That's what James is telling us. But what happens is life happens. And we lose sight of how much he loves us and we get so caught up in everything else that's going on that he just stops and says, stop. Your faith shouldn't lead you to big talk. It should lead you to big action. So today I'm not speaking to your mind, I'm speaking to your spirit. Because that's what your spirit desires. And that's what your spirit was created for. Jesus says, can you imagine that night in John 13? You're sitting in the upper room with the broken body and the shed blood. And he says, as I have loved you, love one another. I want you to think about this for a second. This is how Jesus loved you. He was broken and he was poured out. Radically, sacrificially, and generously. So now I want you to think about this for a moment. That's how he invites you to love your people. Can you picture your people in your mind for one moment? He's inviting you to use what you have to help them be their best. And not only that, but what you're holding in your hand is how he invites you to love the people in this room. So can you open your eyes and just look around for a moment? Just maybe as a sign of faith, just, just look at the people in this room. Don't look at me. Look at them. He invites you to love them radically, generously, and sacrificially. And now think of the world. 
just in particular that one person that's driving you nuts. Radically, sacrificially, and generously. Not because you have to, but because that's how he's treated you. And what James is saying is, man, I didn't believe in Jesus my whole life. I thought he was crazy. And I realized I was the one who was crazy. Because when he came to me with nails in his hands and his feet and, and a hole in his side, I realized he was torn and poured out for me. And so now I can't help but be poured out for everyone else. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, broke it, gave thanks and said, this is my love for you. Can you receive and allow the love of Jesus to start flowing through your life? And in the same way, after the supper, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. I am going to fill you with love. You will love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And you'll love yourself the way that you believe God loves you. So can you by faith let the love of God fill up every crack and crevice in your heart right now? Jesus, thank you that we no longer belong to this world because we've been adopted and brought home by you. May we live differently. May we be people of love. In your name we pray, amen.